I think it was a good show. I don't know if it was a great show. Dan, did you watch King of the Hill or no? You know, I did watch it a little bit, not a ton. Um, but when, when I did watch it, I liked it. I'm, I think I'm with you on that. Just kind of that, that 10 seconds I heard there. That Good, maybe not great, though. Yeah, like I feel like it was the type of show that people enjoyed. But then there's people like Ken. And I, I tell you, Ken loves it. Absolutely loves it. I don't, I don't know who those people were growing up. I didn't have, like my friends didn't love King of the Hill. They liked it. They didn't love it. Well, you know, everybody has their different tastes. I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to question the the legendary Ken Carmen on his TV preferences, <laughs> but uh, you know, look, like I was a Simpsons fan growing up, so me like, too. like to me, the Simpsons is the Simpsons is great, and there's nothing wrong with not being great, you know. Yeah, should the Simpsons have stopped like five or six years ago, or just keep? Just putting them out like they are. We're, we don't even watch them anymore, but we still talk about it like it's the greatest show ever. I mean, five or six might be a little generous, honestly. <laughs> I, I've, I've kind of been showing it to my kids. Like my daughter absolutely loved it. We stopped at like season nine or ten. So, <laughs> How old is your daughter, if, I, if you mind me asking? Uh, she's 12. 12, so okay. She's, yeah, it's kind of right in the wheelhouse right now. To, it's kind of just start getting into it. Yeah, oh, I mean, I was like 9 or 10, I think, and I was. It's, I watched maybe two hours, two and a half hours of Simpsons a day. <laughs> My parents, they just put me in front of the TV, and then it just, the local Fox affiliate just played it all day long. I don't know why they played it all day long. I mean, I, there should be, like, I, I'm a firm believer there should be one channel that just plays Simpsons all day, another that just plays Friday Night Lights all day, and then I think <laughs> TV would be better for it. It's a great idea, actually. It's the, uh, like for a while there, they used to have the different versions of their, like the knockoff TBSs that they came up with. And it was like, uh, it was for a while, it was like two and a half men was on every single day, no matter what <laughs> hour you put it on. And it's like, how did, how did someone choose two and a half men? Great show. But how did they choose that was going to be the one? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they were tired of paying for Seinfeld or something. <laughs> I, I don't know. Charlie Sheen uh, tends to be cheaper than Jerry Seinfeld. I, I think that might've been a part of it. Uh, all right, Dan, uh, I've had a lot of discussion about who I'm looking out and, and who I'm trying to watch tomorrow outside of Deshaun Watson. But before we do that, let's ask you about Deshaun. Are you comfortable with what the Browns game plan appears to be tomorrow and getting him an opportunity, getting him a chance? How important do you think that is? You know, I, I'm okay with it. And I, I don't know that there's a right answer to this question because we see teams do this so many different ways. I mean, Andy Reid plays his starters and, and has done it for a long time. And, you know, Patrick Mahomes has been fine. Other teams, they, they kind of put everybody in bubble wrap. I, I think Kevin's approach has, has been pretty sound to play guys a couple series and, you know, what he's kind of considering the first real preseason game and then maybe doing like a dress rehearsal game in Kansas City. We'll see if they do that uh, in, in a few weekends. But, uh, you know, I'm okay with it. Deshaun has generally been a guy who protects himself. He's only, you know, he's only missed that one, that time during his rookie season with, with the torn ACL. And that was on a non-contact injury in practice. So when he's been on the field, he, he's good at protecting himself. I think when you're going 1v1, in the preseason, guys are—I'm not going to say they take it easy on each other, but everybody kind of knows what the deal is. So uh, I'm not real concerned about Deshaun out there. I actually am excited to kind of see what he looks like now, and maybe what this new offense looks like at least a little bit. Now, so if he's not good tomorrow, though, can we fall back on the idea? You said new offense, but it's my understanding that we're not actually going to see much of the new offense. It's going to be a very dumbed-down version tomorrow. Is that right? Yeah, I doubt that Kevin is going to show a whole lot. Just like Jim Schwartz on the other side, he's not showing a lot of this defense. Nobody really wants to put too much on tape in the preseason, and, and the Browns are no different. And it's kind of why you hope that Deshaun doesn't look bad tomorrow because, you know, it's not going to be like sirens going off, uh-oh, something's wrong. But you would hope that Deshaun Watson, as long as everything else around him kind of functions properly and a simplified offense, is going to be able to move the football. 
I want to ask about Jed Wills, because outside of Deshaun, I'm really fascinated to find out how he does. Uh, obviously, uh, social media clips have him just getting destroyed by Miles Garrett. <laughs> You've watched it every day. I'm sure it's no different than what the one social media clip you know put, has that's out there. I just... Dan, I like this with the Browns. I like them putting Miles Garrett on him every single day, and I like them matching up every single day as much as they possibly can. Because if you're going up against Miles Garrett, my theory on it is that going up against anybody else is going to seem like slow motion. It's a good thing for Jedrick Wills. I, I think so, and and honestly, I, I think it's a little unfair sometimes, like to look at Miles Garrett and uh, you know see him run by Jed Wills like he did in that one clip that was going around, and and point the finger at Jed. Sometimes Miles Garrett is just mild, and remember they weren't in pads yesterday. So that's harder for the offensive lineman as well in that situation, especially against the, when Miles gets a full head of steam going. And the other thing to remember in camp, when one player does something well, another player on the team probably did something poorly, right? Like Juan Thornhill gets an interception. Well, that means Deshaun Watson threw an interception. Mm-hmm. So that's always kind of the balance in camp. I think it's really good for Jed. I'm not completely sold on him if, if he's going to be the long-term left tackle, but I, I think him going against Miles Garrett every day, I don't think that's when we're going to get the answer. I, I think it's good work for him, and I think it can only make him better. I feel like the other thing on a camp so far is the idea that everyone that I've talked to is just in love with Elijah Moore. I've not yet talked to you about it, though. Are you also buying into what Elijah Moore is currently selling on a day-to-day basis? I, I mean, it's hard not to be. And, and I feel like this is the guy that Kevin has been waiting to have on, on this offense. He's always kind of looked for, and, and I use this word a little loosely with Elijah because he's like a legit wide receiver. But Kevin has always looked for a guy that he can be a little gadgety with. He can line up in a bunch of different places. He can direct snap. He can hand off all, all sorts of things like that. Somebody really fast and shifty like Elijah Moore. And, and I think he fits that bill perfectly. And on top of that, I think he's like legitimately a good receiver. So, uh, I think, you know, this is the guy. If there's something really creative in this offense we haven't seen yet, I think it's going to all run through Elijah Moore because he can do so many different things. So it's hard not to have seen what Elijah Moore has done in this camp and, and not get excited for what he can be. Now, is, is it getting a little a little overhyped? Maybe. You know, we still need to see it actually happen in real games over the course of 17 games, but in camp it has looked really good. Who outside of Deshaun then tomorrow? We mentioned Elijah and Jedrick Wills. Outside of those guys, who are you looking at in particular tomorrow that maybe you can actually take something from and be like, I need to see this person look good and it'll give me confidence going into the the actual season that they'll be all right? You know, I'm, I actually want to see the linebackers, and, and I want to see what those guys all kind of look like and who plays where. Um, you know, it's hard again, because Jim Schwartz, I don't think is going to show us a ton, but I just want to see, like, do they have two linebackers out there, three linebackers? Where's JOK? Is he starting? Is he, is he coming in with the second unit? Um, I, you know, I, that's really kind of what I'm curious about, what those guys look like in this scheme, because it is different for them. They're kind of just being asked to play downhill. And, and I've had it described to me as like, it, it, it's kind of like, are playing special teams out there. The, the front creates chaos, and the linebackers are basically covering kicks. And I want to see how these guys respond. So, again, it, you know, I don't know what we're going to see from Jim tomorrow, but I want to see who's playing where in the linebacking core. How many guys do they have out there? You know, how do they look in this system? Do they look comfortable kind of in that, that C-ball, get-ball mode? Is it fair from a fan's perspective to suggest that maybe Cade York is in a lose-lose situation tomorrow? Like, if he hits kicks, no one's going to be like, oh, okay, great, he's fixed, he's fine. They're still going to look back at what they saw previously, and then if he misses kicks, it's going to be doomsday, Dan. Well, okay, so uh, Johnny Manziel has been in the news, which, of course, also <laughs> brings to mind a former Browns coach named Mike Pettin. And say what you will about Mike Pettin, but he had this saying 
that, that trust is gained in drops and lost in buckets. And Cade York is sort of in the ladder there. Like he's lost a little bit of trust and for him to earn it back, it's going to be slow, right? It's going to be make your kicks. And then in the next game, make more kicks, win a game with a kick, things like that. So I don't know if it's a lose lose for him because I do think like if he misses, if he misses a couple of kicks tomorrow, you do start to get a little nervous. And I do think you have to ask the question, like, should you at least have another kicker on the roster? You know, somebody just in case, even if you're just stashing him on the practice squad during the regular season. Um, and, you know, if he, if he makes kicks, you're right. That's what he's supposed to do. And I think people will remember the missed kicks, but it's at least gaining a little bit of that trust back. Like, okay, everybody can take a, a big sigh this week because Katie York made his kicks. Do you watch the Johnny documentary? I haven't yet. I haven't gotten to it yet, but I've heard about it. But no, I haven't seen it yet. Okay. Well, when did you get on the beat? I don't remember, Dan. I haven't been here. I've been here since 2016. I don't remember. <laughs> I feel like you've always been here as long as I've been here, but I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I started full-time on the beat in 2016, but I was around a little bit during the Johnny years, kind of doing some stuff. And I, I got to experience some of the, the joy of covering Johnny Manziel when he was Merrill Hodge for the size of the, the, the knots in his ties. And I was there. I was there in that Cincinnati debut uh, with the infamous screenshot where he's turning one way and Terrence West is going the other. I mean, could any of it ever surprised you or did, did you have the inkling in the back of your mind? Like, yeah, something's something's not right here. <laughs> it surprised me because how bad it was. Like, I didn't I was surprised how bad it was. I didn't think it would be that bad. I mean, it was awful. Like, his debut was one of the worst debuts I've seen by a Browns quarterback, and that's saying something. And then that season ends with him and Josh Gordon getting suspended for the final game. Um, I mean, Billy Manziel, I mean, how could that stuff not surprise you? For, 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 even if you didn't expect anything out of the guy. I, I don't know how you can come away and not be at least a little surprised with what happened. The the national narrative, Dan, it seems like people don't even want to talk about the Browns. They just want to leave them as this big question mark, and then they're just on to the next team and they'd rather not say anything outlandish or, or get too crazy because they just don't have to. Uh, do you feel like because of that, we just had one of the quieter off seasons, at least what you've seen since you've been around the team? Uh, it, it feels, it, for, my, for my money, Dan, it's as quiet as I think I've ever seen it. Yeah, and I think that's intentional. I mean, I mean, Kevin Stefanski took the guys to the Greenbrier. I think that was as much to kind of get the team away from, you know, I mean, what national media wants to go to West Virginia the, the last week of July. And or or of local August. media, I, for that matter. I mean, Yeah, right. I, I think that was a big piece of, of why they went there, to kind of just get away from some of that noise. Um, it, it has been really quiet, and I think they're benefiting a little bit because, like you said, the national media maybe doesn't want to talk about this team because if they talk about this team, they have to talk about Deshaun Watson, and we know how complicated that can be, and if they can avoid it, they will. So I think that's helped the Browns a little bit fly under the radar, but you are starting to see a little bit of that buzz building and people starting to, to look at the talent on this roster, at least the top-end talent, and kind of realize, like, man, Deshaun Watson was pretty good a few years ago, and if he's that guy again, this team is scary. No question. Dan, we always appreciate you being generous with your time and giving us a few minutes here. We'll read you at cleveland.com, as we always do, and uh, hopefully I make it out to Brianna some point in the next couple weeks. I have not been able to get down there for some reason, but maybe in the next couple weeks, and, uh, and I'll be able to say hi in person. Yeah, for sure. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate you as always. Good stuff. Dan Lobby right there on the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram hotline. I just have not been able to make it down there. I will. I'll make it soon. It's been a weird. The Greenbrier threw me off. 
Can I be honest about it? I think the Greenbrier threw me off. Usually we'd be we'd be uh, getting ready to not only have a bunch of shows there and and hang out there and do everything, but I think they've only had one open practice to the public, right? One or two hasn't been many. And then as far as for us being there as a station, it's been a couple shows with Nick and Dustin, but not a bunch. And that's just the product of them not being there, mainly. They got away to West Virginia. They got a lot of the heat off of them. It has been a really quiet offseason. But Joe Thomas was on one of those national media shows, Dan Patrick, and and they got into a little bit of a back and forth. And I, I think this speaks to what I was talking about yesterday, just a little bit. I'll explain what I mean. 216474 to below 92. We'll do it all next. It's overtime with Jonathan Pittle here with you on the fan.